Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. I want to add my welcome to you guys. Um, like Matt said, my name is Nathan Harris. I'm the family pastor here, and I'm excited to be with you guys. I know that we have had a lot of different things happening this week, but I'm excited to be with you because we are wrapping up this series, Religion and Politics. I know that makes some of you cringe. Religion and politics, oh great. But just imagine if we added sex and money into that too, all right? We can make everybody super uncomfortable. But we're not gonna do that. That's not what we're doing this morning. We think this is an important issue, uh, religion and politics, because this is where we're at right now as a culture, aren't we? We've got an election coming up in November. Who are we gonna vote for? We've just had tragedies happen across our nation this past week. How do we respond? How do we move forward? So this is very timely. Last week, Pastor Seth talked all about how we are slowly losing and being robbed of our joy, our hope, and our peace. He talked about that, and he talked about how we don't have to lose those things. We can actually maintain our joy, our hope, and our peace. And even in the middle of the most trying circumstances, if we will simply allow God to be God, and we engage in relationship with him through prayer, asking him to change us, asking him to change the course of our nation. And if you didn't hear that message last week, I encourage you, go to eastpointchurch.com and you can watch it for free. It's right there. Go, go check that out. This week, we're moving on from that, though. We're looking at how Christ followers are called to engage our culture right where we're at, right now, in light of all of the confusion and all of the hopes and fears surrounding this election and the tragedies that just took place. Now, let's face it. There are a lot of controversies around the, the major candidates this year for, for the president, right? Not only do we have to face the question of who am I going to vote for? Who am I going to vote for? We, we have to answer that, but we also have to navigate the fear landscape based on the information that we're getting from political pundits and, and the news agencies that give us our, our, uh, our information. Now, I know that for many people, when you hear religion and politics in church, you automatically think of the religious right, the moral majority screaming into the darkness about how our nation is going to hell in a handbasket. And if you don't join us in what we're doing and what we think and all of that, then you are gonna go to hell along with it. That's not our message this morning. But let's face it, for many outside and inside the church, here's a picture of, of, of what people think of the church. I'll get you my pretty and your little dog too. Good grief, who dropped a house on your sister? I know that no other topics separate people as much as politics and religion. Think about it. You go to Thanksgiving dinner, you've got the family members you don't see very often. Somebody brings up religion and or politics and what happens? Mashed potato fight, baby. <laughs> right? Gravy's everywhere. People are getting mad. Maybe you, you just duck and cover. You got the guy at work who's constantly going on and on about how bad things are. And he's saying, look, all we need to do is just flush everything down the toilet, let's secede from the union, and, and we'll start our own government. That's like a Tuesday in North Idaho, isn't it? <laughs> just kidding. I grew up in a place where that kind of stuff was thrown around all the time. I can laugh about it. 
But listen, here's the deal. That response doesn't solve anything. Have you ever noticed how when you, when you run away from problems, they tend just to crop up in the new place wherever you go? We, as Christ followers, are called to engage the culture right where we are at. And it's hard. It's hard where we live because the reality is that as, as much as our culture likes to claim that it appreciates diversity and tolerance and all of that, the atmosphere we live in, the very air we breathe is all about us versus them. If you don't believe me, turn on a news station, any news station, it doesn't matter, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, whoever, wherever. Us versus them. We are fed the lie that we have to choose Republican or Democrat. We are fed the lie that we have to choose black or white. We are fed the lie that we have to choose male or female. And this division, it, it, it creeps into the church as well. It's not just out there. Lots of times it's in here. Sometimes, as much as it pains me to say this, we as Christ followers judge other Christ followers based on our pet doctrines, based on what my view of the gifts of the Spirit is versus your view. Sometimes we judge each other based on whether or not it's okay for, for believers to, to consume alcohol or see movies or whatever, or sometimes we even question somebody's salvation if we find out they're a Democrat. Oh my goodness, the world has stopped. Shouldn't the church be different? If the church is the body of Christ and we are called to be like Jesus, shouldn't we be different? Do this with me, yes. The answer is yes, we should be different. There's a guy by the name of Paul. He wrote most of what we have is the New Testament and the Bible. And he wrote a letter that we have as Ephesians. And I love, this is one of my favorite books in the Bible, Ephesians. And I love Ephesians 3, 10, because in it, Paul talks about what God's plan for the church is, okay? Up to this point, the way Paul has described the church is a group of very diverse people, people who have been separated not only by, by nations and boundaries, but by ethnicity, by ways of thinking, by ways of behaving, by culture, all right? These very diverse people, they are brought together under one banner, and that is Jesus Christ, the risen Messiah, the one who died, who laid his life down to bring us together so that it doesn't matter if we're Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter if we're male or female. It doesn't matter if we're black or white. In Christ, we are one. And so Paul says this in Ephesians 3.10, his intent, that is God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Got a little exercise for us. How many of you, I wanna see a show of hands, how many of you have had to wait a long time for good news? Now, now, before you raise your hands, I'm not talking about standing in line at Silverwood waiting for your turn on Timber Terror, all right? Although that's fun, you get to the front of the line, that, that's all good, that's, that's awesome. But how many of you have experienced maybe some financial issues in your life, some debt, 
that you just couldn't get around. Maybe some health issues, maybe some relational issues. There's been something in your life that has been a, a block between you and somebody else. And then after years of praying and hoping and, and fears and all of that, you get a call. You get a phone call. The debt has been forgiven. Maybe your doctor calls you. The, you're cancer free. Maybe, maybe it's that wayward child calls and says, mom, dad, I, I wanna come home. I wanna be part of your life again. How many of you here, show of hands, have ever experienced anything like that? I can tell you exactly where I was when my wife and I got the call that a birth mom picked us to be the forever parents of her baby boy. I can tell you, I know what we were doing. I know where we were because this was the culmination of a miscarriage, of pain and suffering, of years of praying and hoping and pleading with God. And then we get the call and it was a party. It was as though we, were, we had been in a stuffy room and somebody lifted a window and the fresh air came in. Hold your experience with your good news after years of waiting in mind as you hear this verse one more time. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The church is supposed to be good news. If you are not a Christ follower right now, let me tell you something. God wants to bring you. He wants to bring every aspect of you, your, your messes, your successes, your failures, your hopes, your fears, your dreams, everything. And he wants to, he wants to uh, just bring it all into himself make you part of his family. And then he wants to, he, as part of his family, he wants to set you out as an example, set you out as a light to shine in front of other people to say, look what God has done. He wants you to be good news. If you are a Christ follower already, he's already done all of that stuff for you. He wants to put you on display and that's our job as Christ followers, we are supposed to be the good news. It's, it's kind of like, you ever been under a blanket for too long? The air gets all close and stale and, the, and then you peel the blanket back and that breath of fresh air, it's cool, refreshing. Or, or like maybe on a spring day when the rain comes and it knocks all the dust down and that, that, that scent in the air that says everything is clean again. That's what we're supposed to be like. But how does it work? How do we live this out? Paul, the guy I was talking about earlier, wrote another letter to a bunch of people living in a city called Philippi. Now, uh, Philippi up until about 42 BC had been just a Greek city. It was part of the Roman empire, but they were kind of left to their own uh, stuff, But in 42 BC, there, there was the end of the Roman Civil War. Julius Caesar got assassinated and there was a bunch of infighting. There was a civil war. And then after the civil war, the leaders who won the civil war said, man, I don't think it's such a good idea to bring all of these battle-hardened troops back into Rome 
because they might wanna turn things around. They might wanna do, have their own plan and, and do something their own way with the Roman Empire, so we've got a great idea. We're gonna give them land all over the empire and we're gonna make them colonists. We're gonna have them, instead of taking a sword, we're gonna have them take Rome's culture and rule to these other places and live it out there. Now, for some of the people Paul wrote to in Philippi, they were Roman citizens. Most of them weren't, but every single one of them understood what it meant to be a colonist. The colonist brings the life of Rome to the place where they're at. They're not looking to go back to Rome. They're looking to bring Rome to where they're at. And then the leader, Caesar, literally, they would call him the Lord. They would call Caesar Lord. His job was to beat off the, the, the invading barbarian hordes, okay? And then make sure that the rule of Rome was established and, and firmly put into place in these, these new areas. This was Rome's good news, literally Rome's gospel. Caesar is here. He brings peace. Rome's life is among you. But if you don't do what Caesar says, he's gonna put a, a sword in your gut. Oh, and you're gonna have to pay some really high taxes. Oh, and one more thing, if you're not already a Roman citizen, well, it's gonna be kind of hard to become one. And most of you just aren't gonna get to, to experience any of the benefits of Rome. But good news, Caesar's here. That sound like good news? No, not to me either. It was in that arena and in that way of thinking that Paul said this, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. We're gonna be looking, we're gonna be camped out in Philippians 3, mainly this morning. But in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that, we'll, so that they will be like his glorious body. Here's the deal, bottom line. If you are a Christ follower, you're a colonist. You're a colonist of heaven. The job of every Christ follower is, is not to escape from culture or circumstances, but instead it's to bring the life of heaven where we are at in the situations we find ourselves in, in the tragedies like this last week, in the political arena that we're in right now, we are to bring the life of heaven. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear the big idea. Our job is to bring the culture and rule of heaven into the situations and places we live, including this election, including the tragedies that just took place. Now, this message flew in the face of Rome and Caesar. As a matter of fact, Paul was in prison at the time he wrote this letter. He was in prison precisely because Rome said, Caesar is Lord, nobody else is. As a matter of fact, you all have to worship Caesar as God. And Paul said, nope, Caesar's for real and Caesar's the leader, but Caesar answers to Jesus. Jesus is the true Lord. Jesus is the one that we worship. And so that flew in the face of the Roman gospel and the Roman empire. And guess what? That message, it flies in the face of our culture today. Because what we are saying as Christ followers is that what ultimately matters 
is Jesus and his kingdom and nothing else. Nothing else is eternal. Okay, Jesus and his kingdom are actually more important than this election coming up. It's important. It's not that the election is unimportant. Of course it's important. And you need to be uh, informed and, and you need to, to vote, vote your conscience, all of that stuff. It's important. But we need to keep our eyes on the fact that Jesus and his kingdom is eternal. Someday the presidency is gonna go away. We, there will come a day when there will no longer be a United States or a president of the United States. But what will remain is Jesus and his kingdom. And our job is to bring the rule and culture of heaven to earth now. So how do we do that? How do we do it uh, consistently and effectively? First, we need to follow. That's the first thing we need to do. We need to follow. Our culture is obsessed with what it calls authenticity. Now, I'm not slamming authenticity, but, but what our culture typically calls authenticity is actually arrogance. You have to love me the way I am. And if you don't love me the way I am and, and you don't agree with everything about the way I am, then you're the one with the problem and, and I don't have to listen to you. It doesn't matter that you might have a better way of doing things. That's what our culture calls authenticity. Now we need authenticity, but we need a humble authenticity that says, yes, please love me the way I am. I know I'm a mess. I know I don't do it right all of the time. Sometimes I yell at my kids on the way to church. Sometimes I don't, I don't, I don't treat my wife the way I should be treating her. I'm a mess and I need help. And so comes in following. We need to follow. Paul says this in Philippians 3.17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. We need to follow. I remember the first time I ever used a chainsaw. I was about 10 or 12, somewhere in there, and I was terrified. I was sure I was gonna cut off my own arm or leg or somebody else's, something like that. It was gonna be horrible. But fortunately, my teacher didn't just hand me a chainsaw and said, go be warm and filled and figure it out on your own. No, what he did was he said, all right, come here. Let me show you how to hold it. Let me show you where the safety is. Let me show you how to pull the trigger. Let me show you how to start this thing. Now, watch me as I cut. And it wasn't until he did all of those things that he handed it to me and he said, all right, now, now it's your turn. And he watched me. He was with me in it. That's the kind of thing Paul talks about in Philippians 3.17 when he says, all of you join together in following my example. But to do this, we have to be humble. To follow this example, we have to be humble and we need to recognize that we need an example. Let me ask you this. Here's the challenge. Will you follow If you're gonna be a Christ follower and, 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 and bring the life of heaven to earth, will you do that by following? God, help me. Getting other people around you, help me. Finding people who, who are maybe a little more mature than you in, in the faith and, and going to them and saying, show me, let me join with you in doing this. Will you follow? 
Will you pay attention to the good, true examples of what the kingdom life looks like and join with them in living that life out? Will you follow? We need to be followers. That's the first thing. Second, though, we need to embrace. We need to embrace. We need to consistently live the kingdom life and to be a bringer of, of the culture and rule of heaven wherever we go, we have to embrace, and specifically we have to embrace the cross. Paul said this in Philippians 3, 18 and 19, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He wasn't talking about pagans. He's talking about people who claim to be in the church, who claim to be Christ followers. He says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. And here's the key thing. Their mind is set on earthly things. This is the test of how to know who to follow, what examples to follow. Do they embrace the cross of Jesus? Because here's the fact. Any version of the kingdom life has to embrace the cross, that self giving love, that sacrificing love, that redemptive suffering that is in the cross. Like the suffering my wife and I endured uh, just before we adopted our second child, we did end up adopting her, but, but we were literally at a meeting when she was placed in our home that very day, and we were told, nah, sorry, there's another plan. We had already fallen in love with this little girl. I talked to Matt about this a lot after when, when we were going through this. But what we had, we were originally really high, we were excited, we thought, oh man, we're gonna add to our family. And then all of a sudden the bottom fell out. And at that moment, I, I cried on the way home. At that moment, I was faced with the choice. Am I going to continue to love this little girl with a reckless abandon and maybe somehow in my pain be able to affect her with the kingdom of God and be life to her? Or am I gonna allow this suffering and this pain to embitter me? And I had to go to God and say, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but here it is. I'm giving it over to you. I have no idea how you're gonna do this, but do something good in it. That is redemptive suffering. When we take it to God and we say, God, use it. Because here's the deal. Our culture wants to avoid pain. We spend money, we spend time, we spend energy running away from or, or trying to dull our pain, don't we? We turn the music up a little bit louder so that we're not left with, our, with the thoughts in our own head about our failures or, or our disappointments or anything else like that. Maybe the TV, maybe your, your thing is TV, but we, we try to dull the pain. If we are going to bring the life of heaven to earth, we have to embrace the cross. We have to be willing to enter not our, only our own pain, but other people's pain. And we've got to say, God, use it. Use it. We need to follow 
and we need to embrace, but also we need to live. We need to live. When we follow good examples and embrace the cross, we are freed to live the life of the kingdom here and now. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 3, 20 through uh, chapter four, verse one. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In other words, he's gonna enable us to live this life out. As weak as I am, he will enable me. And then he, he sums it up here in ver, uh, chapter four, verse one. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way. He says, live this way. Think this way. Eagerly await our savior who will come, who will set things right, who will enable us to live his life. Once my wife and I chose the road of adoption, we didn't just sit around and wait for a baby to magically be dropped to us out of the sky. Our waiting took the form of working and praying. We had to go fill out an application for an adoption agency. And then we prayed. We had to go take classes They were long classes. Some of them were funner than others. And then we prayed. We got a room prepared for the day that a baby would come home into our house. We painted the walls. We got Winnie the Pooh stuff everywhere. And we prayed. We went out and we bought a car seat and put it in the car waiting for that call to come that we were gonna get a baby so we we could pick up the baby and, and, and bring them home from the hospital. And we prayed. That is exactly the kind of thing Paul talks about in these verses we just read. Waiting for King Jesus to come means that we are busy living out the work that is summed up in the cross. We don't just sit on our hands. We love and we pray. We love and we pray. And when we bring the culture of heaven to the places we live, work, play, and vote, we are following, we are embracing, and we are living the life out together. Are you ready to take that challenge? If you are, I've got a few things that you can do this week Practically, you can, you can do as you walk out this door today. First of all, pray. If you're willing to take the challenge of, of bringing the life of heaven into every situation you are in, first of all, pray. Pray for our leaders, whether you vote for them or not. Whether your candidate wins in, in November or not, pray for them. Pray for people who are different from you, who think differently from you. Don't pray at them. Don't pray against them. Pray for them. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for the people that you like. No, that's not what he said. He said, for all 
people. Let me ask you this. Somebody answer for me. What does all mean? It means all. It doesn't leave anybody out. Pray for all people, he said. And he goes on, for kings and for those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And then he wraps it up with this. This is good and pleases God, our savior. Pray. Pray for those different from you. Pray for leaders you didn't vote for. Pray. Number two, honor. Honor. Listen, you can honor anybody. You really can. I don't care if they've got a a different political stance than you. I don't care what's going on there. You can honor them. You know why? Because red, yellow, black, white, blue, purple, orange, whoever, wherever, Everyone is created in the image of God. It doesn't matter who they are or what their political slant is or what their ideology is. You can still honor them as human beings. You can still honor leaders who you don't agree with. Here's what Paul said in in, uh, Romans 13.1. He says, there is no authority except that which God has established. And in that context, he says, honor your leaders. Obey them is what he says. That doesn't mean that we don't ever stand up and say, you're wrong. But what it does mean is that we always treat them with respect. We honor their position because guess what? They're there because God has put them there. Honor. Finally, live. Pray, honor, and live. God has put us here to be signposts to him, his wisdom, his love, grace, and rule. And all we do reflects him. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that we are salt and light. Salt was a a preserving agent in, in ancient times. They didn't have refrigerators, so they salted stuff. They kept stuff fresh, okay? Jesus says that we are preserving agent within the world. He also says that we're the light of the world in this context. He says that we actually demonstrate what is good, what is right, what is true, And then he goes on and he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Put God on display for the world. That's what he says. Pray, honor, live. When we engage in life in this way, we are fulfilling our purpose to bring the rule and culture of heaven everywhere we go into the circumstances into the situations we we live, work, and play. There is hope, you guys. Our nation needs it, and it's available, and you're part of it. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are in the process of making all things new. And though there are times when we, we are, we're groaning with, with, with sorrow or pain or suffering or, or whatever, God, you're still there. You're still with us. Father, I pray for all of us here in this room that you would, you would empower us by your spirit to eagerly await you, to continue to live your life, to follow, to embrace, and to live to be salt and light in the world right now in, in, this, in this trying time, in, these, in this political 
arena that we're in right now to engage people and our culture right where it's at with your good news, to be that breath of fresh air. If you haven't yet begun your life as a Christ follower, I'm gonna say a, a prayer here. Just make it your own. If you, if you wanna join God's team, if you wanna be part of being hope in the world and, and you want God's life in you, just, just make this your own. God, I need you. I need you like I need breath. I need your life in me. I ask that you would take my life, that you would make it something beautiful in you and that you would enable me to live for you. God, for anybody who, who made that prayer their own this morning, fill them with your spirit right now. Lord, as they, as they seek to serve and to follow you. Encourage them, build them up. And together, God, for all of us here, help us to live faithfully to you in bringing your life to earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you all stand with me? We're gonna sing one last song. It's, a, it's an upbeat song. It's an anthem for us. It's called Every, uh, Only King Forever. And, and make this a statement this morning as, as, we, as we wrap up our time that Jesus is the only king and that, that we're following him. And then I'll come back up and, and wrap us up. He really is the only king forever. And because he is victorious... We can live the life of the kingdom here and now, and we can bring it wherever we go. Will you join me in doing that? If you became a Christ follower for the first time today, we have a little bag. It's by all of the exits. It's got a Bible in there and some information about how to begin your life as a Christ follower. I invite you to take one. Tell somebody about your decision. We've got a up here, we've got a contact us email and text line. You can let us know. Let me know. I want to hear your story. Tell me about how I can serve you. If you need communion, we've got it on both sides of the room. Uh, if you need prayer, come this way. Don't go that way. And if you need to, if you didn't have time to fill out your communication card and you still want to get that in, there's still time. Uh, the black boxes, the offering boxes by the exit doors, you can just uh, fill that out, fold it up and stick it in there and we'll get that. You guys, thank you for being here. My prayer for you is that this week you will go in the love and in the grace of Jesus Christ so that as you experience his grace, you're able to pass on his life. Thank you for being here. We look forward to seeing you next week.